Hello, and welcome to the B-Team Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Noop. In this final episode of 2020, let me again thank the generosity of Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas, where I serve on staff as the Director of Young Adult Ministry. Guys, MDPC has been so supportive of this project and has given me all kinds of freedom here as I seek to express the thrill of hope in Christ through the study of the Book of Acts. I also want to thank you guys. I hit like almost 1600 plays recently, which feels like a really big deal to me, and I have received zero hate mail. So it's either striking a chord or it's only hitting my fan club. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed being on this X journey, and if so, would you consider rating and subscribing to the podcast? This helps get the word out and also helps me know where to go from here. And now without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Today's reading is the remainder of chapter 10. Last week was a very big deal. Remember, Peter had a vision, a summons, in an all-night trek 30 miles to the home of a Roman soldier. He crossed the threshold of the home, something he had never done in his life before, and encountered a house full of people eagerly waiting to hear the message God had given to him for them. Okay, picture it in your mind. That moment when Peter first spies the house he is about to enter the thrill of nerves at what might await him on the other side. That moment of hesitation at the doorway, looking at his brothers in Christ who accompanied him with a knowing look, he takes his first step into Cornelius' home. It smells different. It looks different. Different styles of decorating, spices and frescoes he's unaccustomed to. Is that a statue of Aphrodite? Cornelius meets him, but drops to his knees as if he's some kind of deity himself. Peter helps him up notices his height, his stature, the strength and command that propelled him through the ranks to become the centurion of the Italian regiment. Peter and Cornelius meet eye to eye and they speak candidly. And then Cornelius leads him into the family room. There is a big crowd, an expectant crowd, and they are waiting to hear what he has to say. So now let's pick up in chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Let me pause here, and I wanna define a couple of words because this is a profound statement and a profound awareness for Peter. Peter says, in every nation, God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Acceptance, fear, righteousness, That word fear there is a variation of phobia, you know, fear, terror. But it can also mean to reverence, to venerate, to treat with deference. The phrase does what is right is the Greek word dikaiosune, which is used 92 times in the Greek New Testament and means righteousness. That magnificent word that has spawned a million books and articles. Righteousness is the sought after condition of being as one ought to be. And finally, accept. God accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Wait, really? He, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right? That's huge. What about Jesus? Isn't Jesus a key ingredient here? The Greek word there for accept, dektos, is primarily translated as acceptance in its New Testament occurrences. But I like how the English Standard Version of the Bible, or the ESV, renders it as welcome. So that phrase, that sentence Peter says, might also be translated as, God welcomes those 
who reverence him and pursue his shalom. God chose Cornelius as the first truly Gentile convert for this very reason. His veneration, his pursuit of good works, charity, devotion, prayer, integrity, his hunger for righteousness. God welcomed Cornelius, but God had a part two for Cornelius. God sent Peter to tell Cornelius the rest of the story so that Cornelius' devotion and reverence might move from a general awareness of God and good works to a specific expression of devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord of all. And so Peter was sent to deliver yet another one of his evangelistic speeches. Picking up our scripture again in verse 36. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There it is, guys, the thrill of hope about which a weary world rejoices. No more trips to the temple in hopes that your earnest devotion might move the heart of one of a hundred deities, Cornelius. No more idols of order or achievement or perfection or comfort in hopes of satisfying all our deep yearnings for peace to quell the anxiety and ease the depression for good. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And in verse 37, Peter Peter launches into another overview of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This time, not to a group of faithful Jews gathered in the temple courts, but in the home of a Roman who has gathered his friends, family, and household servants. Another speech, another miracle. Guys, another Pentecost. Verse 37, Peter says, You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross or a tree, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even after Peter was saying these things, even as he was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Guys, that's everyone in Cornelius' house. The Jewish believers who came with Peter from Joppa were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues or in other languages and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? This goes back to that very first thing Peter said, that God God shows no favoritism. They received the Holy Spirit just as Peter received the Holy Spirit. Verse 48, So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. (music) 
Did you notice all the ways Peter describes Jesus? Lord, judge of all, the living and the dead, the one the prophets testified about, the one who offers forgiveness, the one who commissions those who follow him with grave and joyful purpose to preach and testify, the one who died but was raised back to life, the son of the living God, anointed miracle worker, healer. Peter was sent to tell Cornelius about Jesus. Cornelius's good works and general devotion, those were good things. But Cornelius's picture of God, Cornelius's vision for his own life, was missing a key ingredient. This makes me think about who was my Peter? Who came and told me the rest of the story? Who came and told you the rest of the story? Who connected the dots for us? For me, it was a woman named Catherine Ford. I was 18 years old, and she was my volunteer young life leader. Because, okay, I had tried on a handful of different identities in middle school and high school. I wanted to be liked, popular, be amazing at everything. Hello, Enneagram 3. I wanted to be loved, and I wanted intimacy. I'd find it here and there with friends or boyfriends or authority figures, but the thirst for something deeper, truer, for something more meaningful, I I found that it was only getting stronger. And at 17, everything I knew to try to satisfy that desire for wholeness and purpose, for enoughness, it didn't work, or I guess it didn't work for long. I've often tried to put into words how God began to gently welcome me, and every time I see it a little bit different. I wasn't a Cornelius, living a life of devotion, leadership, and good works. I was basically an insecure suburban teenager who wanted to be good, but was mostly looking out for myself. As I write this now, I can see how I was on a desperate search for grace. Like I said, I I wanted to be loved. I think I also wanted to believe I didn't have to be perfect in order to survive, that if my grades faltered or my friendliness was having an off day, there was something vast and grand and good that could catch me as I was falling and could help me back up and provide comfort, direction, and love. And so, after a particularly rough summer of partying and heartbreak, in a cry for help, I confessed all of my forbidden extracurricular activity to my mom, who, by the grace of God, grounded me indefinitely. I asked if we could go to church, and we did, and I took notes. And a few weeks later, a strange thought popped into my head. I wanted to go to my very first Bible study. It was called Campaigners, a small group Bible study for the Young Life kids. I called up the girl from school who I knew was involved, and I remember her being like, this is Kristen Soland? I went, I cried. My cup was so full. I was beginning to get a whiff, a taste of that kind of love I was after. By the way, this wasn't the first Bible study I knew about, but this was the first time that I, I guess, had the boldness to say I want to go. See, a couple of my really good friends in high school, they did a Bible study with their moms, but I don't know if they ever invited me. So if you're one of those high school students, do I have any high school students listening? If you're in a Bible study, it just never hurts to invite somebody to join you. You never know if they're waiting to be asked, if they are sort of nervous to invite themselves. Anyway, after that first campaigners, I found out that the group was going on a ski trip. Um, So I asked for that for my Christmas present and for a temporary lifting of the permanent grounding. My parents said, 
okay, it was a church group after all. How much trouble could I get into? And it was on that ski trip that I had my Pentecost. One night after skiing and dinner and a rousing Young Life Club full of music and games and a talk, guys, I couldn't sleep. They gave the sin talk that night for those of you in camp circles. And I was feeling this terrible feeling. I was facing my own sin, my own brokenness, the fruit of my own choices. And I was grieving. I was scared. I wanted the grace, the good stuff, the good feelings. I was void of any kind of peace. My cabin went to sleep, turned out the lights, but I was tossing and turning. Eventually, I crept out of my covers, put on my slippers. We were in Colorado in the winter after all. And I walked over and I woke up Catherine. Can we talk, I asked. We walked into the hall and I burst into tears. She looked at me and she finished the story for me. The story of Jesus who came to be the Lord of all, the judge of the living and the dead, the hero of the Bible, the one the prophets had written about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Did I want to be forgiven? Did I want to start over? Did I want a new life with Jesus as my king? Yes, yes, and yes. And in that moment, she prayed for me that I might receive the Holy Spirit, that my sin would be forgiven, that my heart and mind would glory in the good news that Jesus Christ came to save us, that I might be equipped with gifts and energy for a vision and a vision for participating with God in his saving and shalom work. Guys, it was a good trip and I really did come back different. Who was your Peter? Maybe you've had 20 Peters, mentors and friends who've spoken truth over you time and again, pointing you back to Jesus. That good works and vague devotion are just the beginning. Or maybe you haven't had a Peter. Do you wish you did? Do you long for someone to sit you down and deliver a message of truth? Maybe you want to be someone's Peter. You want to share boldly about the good news of the gospel. Might I suggest that you make it a point to get involved in a ministry, especially with children, youth, or young adults. Guys, these students, these young adults, these, these teenagers, these college students, they are hungry for someone to clarify truth for them, to argue against the prevailing wisdom of the day, which they know has some flaws, but nobody's out there selling them another option. They want someone to point them to scripture, to believe in scripture, to model and teach them spiritual practices, which are real food for the journey they are just beginning. Guys, you can be someone's Peter. You can have the opportunity to share the good news in a way that transforms the future of the world. But it might require crossing a threshold. It might require going a place you've never been, getting a little uncomfortable, meeting somebody eye to eye, and going to a new place. That's it for today, friends. I'll be back in a couple weeks. And hey, Merry Christmas. May these final days of Advent serve to cultivate a thrill of hope about Jesus in you. Yay! <laughs>